Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the blood bank. A weird science story lets us know that getting someone's blood pumped straight into your arteries may not be the best idea. And then we take a look at the story of a young woman whose life is tragically cut short in a car accident. But when an acquaintance of this young girl starts to have haunting dreams, is it possible that from the other side she is trying to warn us what awaits us all? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having a spooktacular Halloween. Jason, <laughs> listening to this at 7 in the morning. Although, is this really your Halloween episode? It came out at 10 p.m. October 30th. It's not really Halloweeny. Yeah, I miscounted the days. <laughs> I've been alive for 47 years and I know how to use a calculator. No, I know how to use a calendar and a calculator. I don't like to brag, but um, I got my, I got my, it's kind of mixed up. So yes, this is the Halloween episode. And yes, the majority of you are listening to this at latest 10 a.m. on Halloween. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to have an extra episode tonight. We're going to have one more Halloween episode come out Halloween night. I figure I owe that much to you. Then I'm going to go on my two-week break. First off, let's talk about this awesome music that's probably fading out at this point. This is a reimagining of the Dead Rabbit Radio theme song, Atlantis Attacks, by a group known as Hombres de la Cebola, which means the Onion Men. (laughs) I was like, what does this mean? I don't know. Google Translate says that means the Onion Men. So thank you so much, Hombres de la Cebola, a.k.a. the Onion Men. Really appreciate it. It's haunting. It's really cool. They just sent it to me earlier this month. I can't wait to use it. So we'll have it on today's episode and tonight's Halloween episode. Double duty Halloween episodes tonight. Really love it. And then just also a quick reminder, I will be at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference November 10th. I'll be giving a speech, Why Are There No Fat Ghosts? I hope to see a lot of you guys there. I'll be there for the entirety of the conference. You'll catch me walking around a lot. You're probably, probably after my speech, and I have a presentation on podcasting in the paranormal Saturday morning. By Sunday, you'll probably more likely find me at the local Dairy Queen or Jack in the Box. But who knows? I'm really, I'm really excited about this. The Jack in the Box is a half hour away, so <laughs> once I leave... You're like, Jason, shouldn't you be promoting the conference? Quit talking about Jack in the Box. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to be there all three days, nonstop, at the conference, hanging out. But definitely, I'd love to see you guys there. I will be there for sure Friday and Saturday. We got a lot of stuff to cover, but I think that's pretty much all of the basis we want to talk about. Thanks again for that awesome theme song, Hombres de la Cebola. Running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command is one of our newest Patreon supporters. I've been saving her for the Halloween episode, and technically this is the Halloween episode. There's just going to be two of them. Running into... I don't know why I'm making it so complicated. Running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command right now is one of our newest Patreon supporters. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Aria Mazrick. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee-hee! Ha-ha! Yeah! She's doing a little jig for us. Dance, 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 twirling around. 
Arya, you're going to be our captain. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Isn't that like a song thing? Isn't Arya part of like a singing thing? <laughs> Anyways, Arya, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially through the Patreon or the merch store or anything like that, that's totally fine. It truly is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Aria, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to... Sweden. (laughs) Nice, leisurely drive across the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Hope you brought your scuba suit. (laughs) There's a bunch of you just floating dead in the backseat. I should have told them that they needed a scuba suit to listen to this podcast. But... You, luckily, have survived. You were smart enough to bring the scuba suit. Me, you, and Arya. Jump out of the ocean, and we're walking around Sweden now. We walk into this hospital, and there's a bunch of scientists standing there with, like, beakers of blood. And we're like, hey, guys, what are you working on? They're like, move out of the way, move out of the way. And we're like, ah, what is going on? Why are they running around with all these beakers of blood? And we follow them into this room. This other scientist is like, in here, in here, hurry up, guys. And we see that this woman in this room is giving birth to a baby. A little baby's coming out. And the scientists pull the baby out and they cut the umbilical cord. Whatever else you do. (laughs) I only know pregnancy from what I've seen on television shows. Cut the umbilical cord. And then they're holding the baby and the scientists start pouring the blood into the baby's mouth. And we're like, oh my god, this is horrific. I thought stuff like this only happened at Bill Gates' estate. I thought this happened at his ranch in Montana. They're like, no, 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 that's only on Tuesdays. They're pouring the blood into this baby's mouth. And then all of a sudden the baby's eyes light up. And the baby goes, E equals MC squared. The capital of the United States is Washington, D.C. If you travel on a train going five miles an hour, and he starts, like, rattling off all this stuff, and we're like, wow, that baby learned how to talk super fast. (laughs) And what he's saying is accurate. The capital of the United States is Washington, D.C. How did you do that, scientists? And the scientists are taking off all their bloody clothes, and they go, there's this theory called body memory. And we go, yeah, we've heard of that. We didn't know it worked in babies. And scientists are like, yeah, this was kind of a hypothetical. This was the most extreme example Jason could come up with. But here's the theory. Now, I've always been fascinated by this theory. I actually thought we talked about it before on the show. I tried looking through some past episodes notes. And I go, really? I've never talked about this? Body memory is a super weird theory that they've tested over and over and over again. And skeptics go, well, we think it's just because mice really love to eat mice brains. We don't think it has anything to do with anything else. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, we just think they like eating mice. We think mice love being cannibals. What it is, they've done studies with tapeworms. They've done studies with mice. If you take an animal, we'll do the mouse example, because that's, you know, we study mice when we want to do stuff with humans. You take a mouse and you teach it to run a maze. And then you and you get it really good. It starts to do the maze really, really quick. You're like, good job, mouse. And he's all proud of himself. And then you chop him up. You chop that mouse up real good. And then you feed that mouse to another mouse who's never been in the maze. The mouse that is untrained in the maze but has eaten the innards and the brains and all sorts of stuff. The tail probably too slurped it up like a little bit of spaghetti. 
yummy. They can actually do the maze quicker than an untrained mouse who did not eat a mouse who's been trained in the maze. So by digesting someone who has knowledge of an activity, you're better at that activity. And they've studied this over and over and over and over and over again. And the skeptics in that particular example, they go, well, that the mouse that knew the maze that ate his buddy and then knew the maze quicker, it's just because he had more like nutrients in him. He was a healthier mouse. As opposed to that mouse over there that we were just feeding mouse food, which actually is probably made out of mice as well. And cow, whatever animal died in the slaughterhouse that day that wasn't fit for human consumption. And we don't know why this happens. The skeptics are like, yeah, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but we see the results. We don't, there's nothing in us that makes us think that our organs would transfer memory. Here's the issue. We do see it happen in humans. We do see it happen in humans. Humans who get organ transplants. You get a set of lungs. There was a story about a 47-year-old woman who got a set of lungs from an 18-year-old. And she developed a taste for beer and fried chicken. She really, really wanted to eat a bunch of fried chicken. I've come across stories like this for years, and I'm always fascinated by it, that you could actually take someone's organs out of one person, put them into another person, and personality traits seem to carry over. And we don't know why. As far as science is concerned, the only thing that can retain memories is the brain. But you imagine, also people have said this, they go, listen, having a heart transplant, having a lung transplant, super traumatic. By the time you need the organ transplant, you're almost dead anyways, right? You're generally on a big wait list. And, you know, you're like, oh, (laughs) see the 10 people in front of you. You're like, I don't know if my lungs are going to last 10 people, maybe six. But eventually, by the time you go in to get your lung transplant, you're probably close to dying anyways. And then also, on top of that, having your lungs removed, probably not a pleasant experience. (laughs) No matter how how much they put you under, you may not remember the lung transplant. I'm sure that you wake up incredibly sore. You know, I'm sure it's very painful. (laughs) Like, hey, Doc, can I have some Vicodin? Uh, My entire upper cavity is cracked open, replaced. And then so and shut. I think I deserve at least two Vicodin for that. Skeptics say your personality changes because you almost died and it's a super traumatic experience. They chalk it more up to PTSD than body memory because it shouldn't work. That's the thing people look at. They should not work. Well, anyways, what happened was in Sweden... They did not pour blood into a baby's mouth. That's the type of science that if I was in charge of the scientific community, everything would be super villain level, but effective, right? We could know if you took a baby and gave them the lungs, <laughs> gave them the lungs of an adult, they'd have to be hanging on the outside like two big old balloons. Would the baby experience a life? Well, probably wouldn't be alive that long flies are landing on his lungs. He's like, ah, ah. He's trying to hit him away with the stick. Dogs are constantly chasing him. Kids with pins are trying to pop him. Let's take, let's take, if you took, let's make it a little bit older. If you took a 10-year-old and took his heart out and put in the heart of a 40-year-old, but, you know, a fairly short 40-year-old, so it fits, what would happen to that kid? Assuming he, sur- <laughs> assuming he survives this 
treehouse surgery. That's the only place that we could do this experiment off the grid. Would he have... I mean, maybe not the memories of a 40-year-old. He's like, oh, I can't believe I lost all that money. I can't believe I owe all that money to the mob. Ah, this 10-year-old kid's running around Detroit. He's like, they're after me. They're after me. They're like, what? You don't owe any money to anybody. He's like, ah, they're going to break my ribs. I'm going to have to get a rib transplant. Would he have personality traits of a 40-year-old? Would he pick up on that stuff? Like, it, it, we don't know. We can assume maybe. We can assume maybe because we sometimes see it in adults who have organ transplants. So I guess we don't have to do it with a kid. I was just wondering if you could give them more knowledge. If you had a guy who was really good at, like, math, you could add up numbers super fast. He's like, four plus four, that's eight. And everyone's like, wow, you didn't even need a calculator for that. You give it to a kid. So when the kid's in the third grade and they're like, what's one fourth plus two thirds? And the kid's like, he gives the answer. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. You have to do something with the denominators, right? Common denominator. You turn them both into 12s. Wait, what was... <laughs> I remember the original question I came up with. But anyways, I think I should just retire Dead Rabbit Radio and do a math podcast. It would be the most entertaining thing on the internet. You guys send in problems and I just <laughs> you can actually hear the gears in my head turn. And I'm like, uh, seven divided by three. What? It's 2.1. I know that one. Is it? Is it 2.1? But anyways. The point is, is that could you bestow knowledge among someone? We see, we don't know about that. We see personality traits. Well, in Sweden, they did this study about blood transfusions. And what they saw, and they, again, they have no way of figuring out why it does this. But they go, there are people who donate blood who also have brain hemorrhaging. Which, if that was the case, you probably don't want to donate blood, bro. You need it all in you. Your brain's constantly bleeding. You're like, ah. It's coming out of your ears. You're like, you know what? I got a little too much blood. I think I'm going to donate it. The doctor's like, that's not why your brain's bleeding. But go ahead. I mean, it does help to donate blood. They said like 0.1% of the blood supply is from people who have brain hemorrhaging problems. And people who get blood donations from these brain bleeders, they have a twice as likely chance as developing brain hemorrhaging themselves. And this study was posted in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It was in Sweden, oddly enough. But they published it and they said, they go, we don't know why this would happen. There's no reason why the blood itself should carry the brain hemorrhaging thing. They were looking at something called cellular memory, that the cells themselves have some sort of memory of what it's supposed to do. And in this case, misfire. They said it's such a small sample group, right? You have 0.1% that they can find in this blood supply of people who have brain hemorrhaging. I think probably just, you know, not let them donate blood would be good for all parties. But they go, we don't know why it would cause brain bleeding in... Another person. We checked the blood. The blood's totally fine. And I was reading this article in the Daily Mail, which is tabloidish. It is tabloidish to be for sure. It's a British uh, newspaper. They went on. They talked about that. And then they talked about body memory as well. Apparently in 2018, the Geneva University ran a study. They talked to seven people who had blood transfusions. Tens of thousands of people have blood transfusions a year in Britain alone, because that's where the Daily Mail is reporting from. 
Geneva University talked to seven people who had blood transfers. Three of them said it changed them. That they actually had different quirks of personality after the blood transfusion. One of the participants said since he got the blood transfusion, he felt stronger and happier since the blood transfusion. One of them said they slept more and dreamt more after the transfer. But oddly enough, the third one, because out of these seven people, the third one said he had a change of taste. Not like what he liked in music or art or anything like that. Like food tasting. Like he's like, what? This jack-in-the-box food's disgusting. The scientists are like, what? This guy's out of the box. No one thinks that about jack-in-the-box. He's all thrown away jalapeno poppers. He's like, gross. I don't want this stuff anymore. Scientists are writing down. And he's weeping. He's weeping openly. Because everyone knows that Jack in the Box is the best fast food restaurant. And he says that uh, he believes that his taste, his taste buds have changed since the blood transfusion. And they have this quote, this worrisome quote, where he said, quote, I hope that the donor's blood cannot take over. So that's an interesting thing. At first you think, well, maybe it's the placebo effect, right? All of a sudden you got more blood in you. Of course you're going to be happier. No one wants less blood. You're going to be stronger because you have more blood in you. Maybe you sleep more because <laughs> the blood makes a comfy pillow as your brain's hemorrhaging. You're like, I need to sleep a lot more, guys. You're all passing out in front of the scientists. But the third guy's like, no, I've definitely changed and I'm afraid it's going to take me over. That's worrisome. Like you're noticing the change. I remember a couple of years back, I had this thing in one of my back teeth. I lost some bone in my upper jaw. There's actually a little cavity there. Not like a tooth cavity that most people get, like a cavity in the bone. And I went to this orthopedic special. Oh, who's the orthodontist? The foot guy. The foot guy who's like, hey, you need to go see a dentist. I'm just a foot guy. I'm an orthopedist. I went to an orthodontist and he's looking at it. And he goes, listen, I'm going to do some stuff. Like there's like some stuff going on back there. He took care of that and he goes, so here's the thing. Either you're going to naturally heal and your bones going to grow back on its own. He goes, it's not impossible. It does happen. But if that doesn't happen, you can't have this gap. Like you couldn't see it, but it was like inside the gum line. It was getting infected and stuff like that. He goes, here's the thing. I think I talked about this before on the show. If it doesn't heal naturally, you have three options. One is a very expensive option, which is we have a synthetic bone that we can fill it in with. He goes, but that's going to be the most money. He's looking at me. He's like, you're obviously poor. You think Jack in the Box is delicious? You're obviously poor, so I'm going to offer that, but I'm going to chuckle. I'm going to chuckle. He's like, yeah, you're going to really afford that, buddy. He goes, the other two options are the same cost, they're pretty cheap, and insurance will cover it. He goes, one is bone. So they take bone, and they grind it up into a powder, and then they will inject it or paste it into the cavity. He goes, we have this bone powder. Your choices are bone powder from the jaw of a pig or bone powder from the jaw of a cadaver. And that's pretty much all you can, <laughs> you can afford dead man or you can afford swine. And I remember, because, you know, I'm always real talkative with my doctors and stuff like that. Pretty casual. I see them all the time. I see all my doctors all the time. Hey, man, how's it going? How's that kid? Growing up with great chin? I'm talking to the orthodontist. 
And I go, maybe it wasn't even orthodontist, oral surgeon, whatever, whoever it was. I was talking to him and I go, well, what would you choose? And he goes, honestly, because he knew I couldn't. <laughs> He's probably like, well, I would choose the expensive one because I'm a medical professional and I can afford it. He goes, the way that it is, he goes, it's so pulverized. It's almost like just the matter that makes up the jawbone. He goes, I wouldn't, personally, he goes, I wouldn't care either way. The dead man or the pig. It's not like we're actually taking a piece of their bone. He goes, it's kind of this meal almost. And I go, and I remember saying this. I, I'll be honest, I don't remember his answer. Uh, I, I did go, I did say though, well, have you heard about that thing about transplants? Like re carrying over memories from a transplant. And I might have told the story before on the podcast and I might have remembered what his answer was then. I honestly don't remember what his answer is as I'm recording this now, but I wonder, yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, he did, He was aware that that was a theory. That would be my concern, right? Do I want to have the pig put in me, and then all of a sudden I'm just like rolling around in my own filth? That's <laughs> and that was before the surgery, and that's like, oh, wake up! I wake up in my pig pen. I'm like, time to go to the dentist. Um, would I start to be swine-like? Would I find myself eating more apples and? corn cobs not the delicious corn but the cobs themselves rolling around in the mud probably not right i'd probably just maybe worst case scenario is i would <laughs> would occasionally oink i'd have to edit it out of the podcast i would think if i had pig put in me it, it i mean it wouldn't be my my first choice but i guess between the two it would be my first choice because i can't imagine myself becoming infected by the soul of a pig Maybe if it was a warthog, I'd be more down. But like a commercial-grade pig, if I knew the rest of my body was in hot dogs, and then just his jawbone was sitting on the ground, and the dentist was like bringing him, bringing in a wheelbarrow, picking him up, he's like, ah, yes. The best of both worlds. Working on people's mouths and wallowing in filth in a slaughterhouse. That would be concerning, but whatever. The cadaver, that would be weird to know that there was... A, a piece of a dead man inside of me. But I guess that's what an organ transplant is, really, right? Is, a, is like a, a heart of a dead man in you. But <laughs> clutching your chest, you're like, oh, I had a heart transplant two days ago. This is the most terrifying Halloween episode ever. Like, imagine if I got a little bit of a dead man in my mouth, and then all of a sudden I was like, what? Pickles are disgusting. Raw cucumbers, that's for me. I'm eating them. That would make me cry. I'd be so sad that I no longer liked pickles, that I liked a disgusting raw cucumber. I'm like, watermelon? Delicious. Everyone's like, Jason, what's wrong with you? You hate watermelons. That's why you love Gallagher so much. I'm like, yeah. I'm like no, dude, what do you mean? I love watermelons. That must be a Mandela effect. I'm eating them. I'm crying. I'm walking past all the fast food restaurants, and I'm walking into a Whole Foods market, and I was like, ooh, legumes? Yummy! I'm just where all the gooms are. They're trying to wrestle me away. I'm like, no, I must have them. The tiny man in my mouth demands <laughs> eat all of their nuts. They're like, sir, sir, you got to get out of here. Get the cattle prod. It's weird to think. And I ended up not getting any of them. I went back to the the guy goes see me in six months, and then COVID <laughs> COVID hit. And it was like a year and a half. I was like, oh, I hope I 
still have an upper jaw. I went in to see him after COVID, after all the lockdowns and all that stuff. I went in and he goes, yeah, all your bone healed. It's all back to normal. And he's probably all disappointed. <laughs> he had a little tiny dead man dust in his hand. He's like, next time, Philip, next patient, you will live again. <laughs> my brother, my brother. I will find the suitable host for you. Pours him back into the cremation jar. I ended up not getting any of them. I don't know what I would have picked, honestly. But it's crazy to think that a couple millimeters of a dead man stuffed in your mouth could change you. Because it's not like all their blood was replaced. Just a little bit. I mean, just a liter or two. And you imagine your body's constantly producing more blood, right? Blood's dying off and then more is coming. I don't know. I actually don't know where blood comes from. But that blood elves at night fill you up. You get more blood. I don't have the same blood I had when I was seven. Blood dies off and is replaced with healthy blood. So you imagine like just a little bit. Maybe I gave this dude a liter of another person's blood. Two liters. You figure after a couple weeks, a month, a year, it would all be back to his original blood. But no, he still feels like he's afraid this new blood might take control. A truly spooky story. For Halloween episode part one. It involved blood. Ari, I'm going to toss you the keys to the carbon copter. We are leaving behind Sweden. Fly us all the way out to high school. We're hanging out at this high school. We're walking around. It's our senior year. We got our all of our books in the locker. We're wearing our letterman's jackets. We're like, hey, what's up, man? You going to go see the big game Friday night? Of course, bro. I'm quarterback. We're like, oh, yeah, laughing. We're laughing hella hard walking around high school. You're like, geez, high schools don't even have lockers anymore. There's armed security at every corner. I know you went to high school in the 90s, but it's not like that anymore. We don't have lockers. All of our books are on tablets it's a dystopian nightmare with no lockers <laughs> no lockers where are you supposed to shove nerds into ah what has happened to the world we're walking around this high school because this is a more recent story so there may not be lockers this lockers have nothing to do with it this story is really about a young woman named taylor or a young girl right she's a senior in high school her name's taylor and her friend who we don't have a name for, we're going to call her Felicia. Now, Felicia says, listen, I know Taylor um, casually. We have mutual friends. We've talked from time to time. It's, we're definitely friendly with each other. We've like online chatted with each other. I We say hi to each other in passing. That type of thing. Not close friends. A little bit more than acquaintances. And Felicia says that this year in high school, we don't know the exact year, but again, I, I believe the story is fairly recent. Felicia says, we were just all starting senior year. We're in the final lap of high school when the news hits the town. I mean, this really is a big issue in this town they live in. Reverberates throughout the community. Taylor dies. Taylor died in a car accident teenage girl her whole life ahead of her cut short in a tragic car accident you know felicia goes again we weren't best friends but it was a shock it was an absolute shock i couldn't believe it 
What are you going to do? What are you going to say? One of their mutual friends, this guy named Eric, he was closer to Taylor. He went over to talk with her parents, with her family after her passing. Felicia and as many others at the school, though, just mourned the loss of this young girl. They weren't in her inner circle, but they knew her. They loved her. The day that Eric went to go talk to Taylor's family, because he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hang out and, and see how they're doing, see if they need any help. The night that Eric went to go talk to Taylor's family, Felicia had a nightmare. Felicia's sitting in a classroom and her desk is positioned so there's two desks placed front to front. So she's staring at the student right in front of her. And the student right in front of her is Taylor. And Felicia doesn't have any classes with Taylor. Felicia didn't have any classes with Taylor. And it may have been because of that. Or it may have been because even Dream Felicia knew that Taylor had passed on. But either way, Felicia sees Taylor sitting across from her. And she goes, Taylor... Why are you here? You shouldn't be here. Suddenly a voice says to Felicia, Who are you talking to? Felicia turns and looks and sees her friend Jade is sitting next to her. And when she turns back to point, Oh, no, I'm talking to Taylor. She turns back, Taylor's gone. The desk in front of her is empty. Felicia's now standing in the local cemetery. And she's slowly walking up this hill, and on top of the hill is this tree. Standing underneath the tree is Taylor. Taylor is openly sobbing. She's weeping. She's saying... Quote, I'm so scared. I'm so cold. I don't know why I'm here. Please help me. I want my mom. I want to go home. Felicia's walking towards her and trying to say something to console Taylor, but she can't. She can't even get the words out of her mouth. She's just watching this young woman sob uncontrollably. Underneath a tree. On top of a hill. In the cemetery. Felicia wakes up. The funeral was a couple weeks after... Taylor had passed away, and it was one that needed a lot of planning because almost everyone at the school showed up for the funeral. It was a huge event. I mean, again, I'm assuming this is a, a fairly small town. I've been in situations like this before where you have a small town and someone passes, and it's just like, it seems like everybody's there to show support for the surviving loved ones. You have this huge funeral but Taylor's family decided to have her burial a private event. So everyone could show up for the service, the celebration of life, whatever you want to call it. 
but when they were putting her casket into the ground, only the immediate family was going to be there. So Taylor is put into the hearse, and the hearse leaves. And then the family leaves in their car, and they're driving off to the local cemetery. Felicia's still there, and she watches the cars drive off. And I don't know, again, how big this town is, but it's possibly hundreds of people at this funeral. I've been to funerals with that many people. Felicia's kind of walking through the crowd, making small talk with people, and she sees Eric. She sees her and Taylor's mutual friend. Felicia walks up to him, and they start talking. Obviously, subject matter, you'll start off being like, hey, how's everything going? (laughs) You're at at a funeral, so no one's doing that well, but... The topic will always turn back to the events of the day. Eric's talking to Felicia, and he says, Yeah, yeah, they wanted to have the private ceremony, but they picked a really beautiful place for her in the cemetery. There's this hill in the cemetery, and on top of this hill, there's a tree, and that's where they decided to lay her body to rest. And Felicia wraps this up by saying, listen, I didn't have any way of knowing that's where she was going to be buried. The night that Eric went over and talked to the family, and that's when they decided to bury her in that location is the night that she had that nightmare of Taylor being there, standing underneath the tree, on the hill in the cemetery. And, and it's kind of an interesting story. She posted it online underneath the username then bury her, which I actually, I double checked to make sure this wasn't an ARG. I almost feel like, because her account's over a year old. She just posted this pretty recently. And most of the stuff she posted on was Etsy and Nordic pagan subreddits. So it's not like she was building up to big something. It does seem a little on the nose, but I just wanted to acknowledge that. Felicia says, and really her narrative says this as well, they're not close friends. They were more than acquaintances, but they definitely weren't besties. Why her? Why did Felicia get the dream? Why did Felicia see the the vision? Because she goes, there's no way I would have known that. I had that dream weeks before she was actually buried. There was no way I would have known where she was going to be buried. But on the same night they discussed and decided to bury her there is the night I had the dream. So why her? And she basically goes, you know, I may have been one of the few people that she could have reached out to, which is super interesting because now we're looking at two totally different things. If I'm having a really, really, really tough time, there are people that I can reach out to that I know will listen to me. Not try to give me advice right off the bat, but just listen to what I need to say. Listen to what's going on. That's always a key factor. You're not going for advice. You're just trying to get something off your chest. Sometimes I'm going for advice, and a a good friend, I think, will know the difference between when you're looking for advice or when you're just looking for an ear. And there's a core group of people like that. But, and this is super interesting... If I'm dead, most of them would not be able to hear me in the spirit realm. Because surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, most of my friends are skeptics. 
like openly skeptic. They're like, I don't believe in any of that stuff. A lot of my really close friends, even some who listen to this podcast, are skeptical. There are very few people in my close friend group that could that I could talk to in real life and then would be open to a spiritual visit from me because they don't believe. Isn't that weird? It's weird to think about, and I never really thought about it. And it's funny, I didn't really even think about it until I sat down and started talking about the end of this episode. I kind of had another angle to go with this. But now there there are people that I know that believe in the paranormal, believe in spirits. And if I visited them, and it could be you, right? It could be you listening to this podcast right now. When I die, you're like, oh my God, Jason, please don't say you're going to be floating around my house. Who knows? Who knows? Because here's the thing, like I have really, really close friends that I could call up and say, hey man, I'm having a really rough time right now. You want to go out, hang out. I just need to talk. It doesn't happen that often because I play my feelings pretty close to the chest most of the time. But it it does happen. And if I died and I was floating around as a ghost, I could be screaming in their ears. They wouldn't hear me. Honestly, I think if they saw me as a ghost, they'd probably think they were hallucinating. Because they're skeptical. Like, could I reach out to him? Would it be me reaching out to, like, an old boss or something like that? Someone who didn't know me that well, but knew me. We were cordial. But they believe in the paranormal. Ten toes in it, right? They're completely invested in the world of the paranormal. I may be flying through the astral plane. Like, oh, man, <laughs> what a thing. I was so many skeptics. Ah, I need my murder solved. It was the orthodontist. I'm flying around the astral plane. I'm just looking for somebody. This is super interesting. It's just super interesting because I think that the people that you can rely on for physical comfort, like not like hugging you and stuff like that, although that may be included, but you know, like in the physical world, you can talk to and get some comfort. They may not be the same people who you can talk to in the afterlife where you're dead and they're still alive and they just can't hear you but your acquaintance someone that you talk to occasionally is keyed into the right frequencies because even i mean i get it that felicia she posts a bunch on a a bunch of norse pagan stuff that she has a a level of spirituality she doesn't seem to be a skeptic i doubt the norse pagan community has a big skeptic community attached to it maybe skeptical of mainstream religions but Maybe she is, she didn't come across as a pure believer in the paranormal either. But who knows? Like, is it a brain frequency thing? Is it a open to the belief of something else outside of the physical world? Was Taylor just kind of screaming through the afterlife? And who knows? You know, this is one of those stories where multiple people may have had this dream or something similar and a chunk of them didn't remember it. Some of them remembered it, but they were not close to Taylor at all. Like, you imagine you probably had people at school who were more psychically connected to the world of the paranormal. You have, like, a a group of nerds at the school, and one of them is really into ghosts. They might have had a dream about Taylor. 
that same type of dream. It may have been the exact same dream if the psychic scream was the same. But they don't know her. They're not going to her funeral. They, don't, they thought it was a weird dream. And that person who's actually really into ghosts and really into the paranormal may be like, wow, that was a creepy nightmare. And they never hear that she was buried in the same location as the dream. They never hear that. They never go to the funeral. They never visit her grave. This person could have had direct proof of life after death, this scream through the astral dimensions, and they never follow up on it because they just think it's a weird dream, but they never go and talk to Taylor's family or anything like that. It's a, it's an insane story if you think about it like that. If you just take it as a story of a dream that a friend had about another friend's passing, it's still creepy. Because I, I really, I feel like I've buried the lead on this one. Let's go back to her actual quote, which was, I'm so scared, I'm so cold. Like, right, just that alone is terrifying. We want peace in death. We don't want the cold embrace of the shadows inside of the casket until the meat rots off our bones. Uh, we want it to be peaceful, but I'm so scared, I'm so cold. Right. If if a ghost appeared in front of you and said any of these phrases, any of these singular sentences, you'd be terrified. And not only would you be terrified because there's a ghost in your house, you would be terrified to die. Because although we do get ghost stories that are very uplifting of walking into the room and smelling your dad's cigars or your grandmother's perfume, those are uplifting. It shows us that life carries on after death. We get a ton of ghost stories that they complain in horrifying ways. Let's parse out this sentence here. Her quote. Quote, I'm so scared. I'm so cold. That, that alone is terrifying. It gives us the idea that the dead can feel. Like even though they're non-corporeal, they feel and it's cold. So imagine yourself being cold for all time. I mean, I guess if you're thinking about hell, it's better than being hot forever. But imagine your existence being one that you're now trapped on Earth for who knows how long. We don't know what the actual time limit is. We don't know if there's a time limit between the time you die and you have your choice to go to the afterlife. Or if you don't choose that in a matter of days or weeks or months, you're trapped here for centuries. We don't know any of this stuff. But whatever the timeline is, to be frightened and cold for decades, to never finding the warmth of the living world again, terrifying. I'm so scared, I'm so cold, I don't know why I'm here. Again, this idea of, and we've covered this so many times on this podcast, being dead and not knowing it. She's standing in the cemetery. Imagine that. Imagine you get in a car accident. Everything is totally fine. Whether or not even a car accident. It could just be a car accident. You could be walking through your house and you trip. You could be eating a delicious dinner with your family. And the next thing you know, you're freezing cold. You're standing in a cemetery. You would go, well, Jason, I would know I was dead. I would know that I had had a heart attack or gotten a car accident or tripped down the stairs or whatever. But you wouldn't. Your brain, you would try to you, you would try to figure out what was going on. It's the same thing we do when we wake up from dreams, or even in dreams, where our brains are constantly trying to figure out, like, wait, is this real? That's what's going on. You would assume 
that you were dreaming. You would assume something wasn't right because the you remember just being very, very happy sitting with your family eating dinner and now you're freezing cold in a cemetery. While your, yes, your rational brain would go, oh, I must be dead. We can't perceive that. And here's the thing, and I think this might be the difference between people who do go into the afterlife, people get people who get stuck here for a matter of time. It may be coming to terms with that. I don't know why I'm here. Please help me. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a literal cry for help. If a ghost just appeared in your house tonight at the foot of your bed and says, I don't know why I'm here. Please help me. And then vanished. That is just enough. But we keep going. I'm so scared. I'm so cold. I don't know why I'm here. Please help me. I want my mom. I mean, heartbreaking, right? It's like Jason, it's supposed to be <laughs> Jason. It's supposed to be a Halloween episode. You're all sitting there in your panda outfit, listening to this. You're like, oh man, this is sad. This is sad. I want my mom. I'm so scared. I'm so cold. I don't know why I'm here. Please help me. I want my mom. I want to go home. And you know, out of all of those. Phrases, there's really only one thing that we could help with, and that's the please help me. I think recently on a recent episode, I kind of gave a kind of a pussyfoot answer when I had a friend suffering from a uh, some spiritual attacks. And I said, I don't know what to do, and I'd feel too um, inexperienced to give her any advice. And I thought about that long and hard, and I go, that's a real, that was a really kind of wishy-washy answer. You do have the experience. You're just afraid of making a mistake, and you're afraid of the consequences. But that's not fair. You have a lot of experience in this stuff, so I'm actually going to try to... I don't know if I'll, necess- <laughs> I don't know if I'll necessarily help her, but I, I'm going to brush up on my research, because I do think that on, on how to help protect the living and help the dead move on because that was such a wishy-washy answer. Like I didn't feel right and I haven't felt right since that episode. That's not true. I just am afraid of doing something wrong and causing more damage. That's like a doctor saying, I could give this guy CPR, but I might break a couple ribs and then he'd have to go and get his ribs bandaged up. So I'm not going to do anything. I think as paranormal researchers, we do have a duty to try to help the living and help the dead move on. And I think when she said, please help me, I'm not saying that Felicia needs to do it, but I, I do think that I, here's the thing. I, I, it's possible that her spirit's still in that cemetery. We don't know where the story took place, but it's not like we could go out. I don't know. Maybe a listener does know this story. doesn't recognize these names, Taylor and Eric and this whole experience. But I, I do think that we have a responsibility to try to help them move on, to help them realize that they are dead and their mother will be with them again in paradise, but not here. And you wouldn't want her to be here. You wouldn't want your mother's soul to be trapped in the cemetery with you. So you have to move on. I do believe that there is a time limit between a, when a ghost can actually leave and when they're stuck on Earth. But I do believe that then with the help of humans, they can move on. Do I have any proof of any of this? Absolutely not. No, none. I have anecdotes. But um, it's better than just, as a paranormal researcher, twiddling your thumbs and saying, I don't don't know how to do everything, therefore I'm going to do nothing, which is kind of that weird answer I gave. I have a friend who's suffering from spirit. I got emails from you guys 
that actually were more helpful than the advice I was on that podcast. I actually got sent a book recommendation. I'm going to pull it up right here. From a listener known as Jonathan recommended a book called Dion Fortune Psychic Self-Defense. You know, I, I, I sent it to my friend. I forwarded the email. I appreciate that. And uh, there's uh, many other resources out there that I could look into. And I do have a base knowledge of it. I just have such a such a lame answer. I, I can't, I'm going to leave it in, but I'm not going to edit it out. But I think we do have a duty to help them. Because otherwise, if we know someone's in crisis, if we know someone's struggling with where they're at, and we don't do anything to help them, if we think we have an inkling, if we think we have a pebble that we could toss into that ocean of grief to possibly help, and we don't do it, that's just kind of bad. It's not like morally bad, it's just kind of lame. It's kind of lame. And I think that um, if you knew someone who was grieving in the real world and you never reached out to them, and you're just like, whatever. I, I don't know what to say, so I'm not even going to invite him to go play snooker this weekend. Like, I, I understand why people do that. But if if they're dead, if you're really one of the very few people they can actually... Con- and again, I'm not putting this on Felicia at all. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, like, with my friend coming to me and telling me that story, and I was like, oh, I can't. I don't know exactly what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. It's kind of a lame answer. I think we should try something. And in Taylor's case, if somebody doesn't try something, if she's missed that exit window, then it's possible that she's still up there. And she may be up there for decades, for centuries. We just don't know. But it it's a terrifying story, and her cries for help are terrifying as well. I think for most people who die, it is not as bleak as what she is experiencing. But from what we can tell, it is for some of them. It is for enough horrible stories to fill up a podcast daily podcast like this it's happening out there hopefully someday taylor does find her way to the other side find some peace a place where it's a little bit warmer a place where she's not so alone and a place where someday she will find herself once again reunited with her mother Because if she doesn't, if she doesn't get to the other side, she'll just be another spirit trapped in this world. Another lonely, frightened ghost. Haunting a small patch of a cemetery. On top of a hill. Underneath a tree. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.